Well, what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. My name is Gary Perkins. I'm an associate pastor here. Pastor Gary and his family are away enjoying a well-deserved rest this weekend. He'll be back uh, first of next week. And we look forward to seeing him here uh, next week. This morning I want to stare, uh, share a story with you called In Remembrance of Me. And I'd like to begin with a family uh, story, if you would uh, give me that honor. First Lieutenant Robert W. Perkins, son of Mr. and Mrs. Gerald N. Perkins, 1404 Myron Street, died February 18, 1943, in a Japanese prisoner camp, according to records captured from the Japanese government. First Lieutenant Robert W. Perkins, U.S. Army, was awarded the Silver Star for his actions. The citation read in part, for gallantry in action at Fort Mills, Corregidor, Philippine Islands, on 5 May 1942. By his aggressive fighting spirit and superior leadership, Lieutenant Perkins made a noteworthy contribution to the gallant defense of Corregidor. Well, Robert was my father's brother, my uncle. And this notice appeared in a hometown newspaper sometime in 1943 during the war. It was one of almost half a million notices that would be posted in newspapers across America before the war was won. Twenty-five years later, it was my first real paid job to deliver that hometown newspaper through my neighborhood. But this time, the papers on my route were filled with the names of different American soldiers who died in a different war, in a different world, far away from the last. Tomorrow, as our nation pauses to remember the men and women who gave their lives to preserve our liberty, my family will continue to remember my uncle and all of the men and women who died so that we can be here today. America has set aside a Memorial Day, a day to give thanks and to remember. It will be a day to sing the melody of our memorial, but many of us will have no idea what the memorial means. Most of us, we Americans, will be too busy to take the time to remember. We'll be caught up in the noise of our own song, the song that sings the praises of the material comforts that we share in our life, the material comforts that have been paid for by the blood of our brothers and sisters who gave it all so that we might have it all. Many have grown so accustomed to having the last Monday in May as a paid holiday that they have come to think that they themselves have earned it. Well, that's the way it is in a fallen world, one that has long grown comfortable with the sacrifice of others on their behalf. On a Memorial Day not too long ago, an elderly D-Day veteran returning to a reunion at the beach at Normandy encountered a group of French teenagers who teased him as he checked into his hotel. Although he was wearing the uniform jacket of a World War II U.S. soldier, well, he didn't look like one now. 
The jacket was too large for his withered frame. He didn't stand tall or walk straight anymore. His face was old and tired and worn. And one sleeve of his jacket held, hung limp at his side. A lifelong remember of the last time he stepped on the beach at Normandy. The hotel was quite luxurious. These kids had come in for coffee and some of the French pastries the hotel was so famous for. According to their own uniforms, they attended a prestigious private school. As they were jeering along the way teenagers sometimes do, the old man asked the ringleader to tell him a little bit about his school. He says, do your teachers make you speak German when you learn your lessons? The boy answered, of course not. How about English? Are your books in English? Certainly not, said the lad. I'm French. My school is French. Here we speak and read and think in French. And with a vice grip that betrayed his ears, the old warrior grabbed the youngster by his arm, looked him in the eye and said, you're welcome. And it would be good for you to remember your beach that is today covered with the graves of my comrades was once covered in their blood. They died so that you might be able to drink French coffee, eat a French roll, go to a French school, and think and speak and read for yourself in French. You see, it's easy to forget the source of our blessings. It's much more comfortable to sing along with the noise of the world than it is to consider the complex melody of our life. Well, the Bible is full of memorials. In Genesis 1, God gives us the first, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Genesis 9, God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Well, as we read from Genesis onward, there are many more memorials for us to remember. When God had delivered them to the promised land, the nation of Israel stacked 12 stones taken from the Jordan River to remember their crossing so people would not forget. Joshua chapter 4. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Well, the problem with memorials is they're too soon forgotten. For example, the American memorial at Normandy Beach that the old soldier came to honor that day is the final resting place for 9,387 American soldiers. They died in the largest air, sea, and land invasion in the history of humanity. 
Well, that battle, now forgotten, was the turning point of the war against darkness. Their sacrifice turned the tide to the liberty of light. Yet many Americans cannot tell you that battle began on June 6, 1945, on a stormy day we now remember as D-Day. Today, most of our children neither know nor care that Normandy Beach is located in France. Memorials are made for remembrance. Yet when the memories fade or when their memory is no longer politically correct, we stop teaching about them. We stop talking about them. We stop thinking about them. And eventually we celebrate a victory of our own making as they're torn down and removed from public view and forgotten. Other memorials that are harder to remove from public view, like the rainbow and marriage, are simply redefined as we scramble to sing with the noise of the multitude and be among the first to be on the right side of history. Well, God delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and he said, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And then he told them to wear special clothing and to obey his commands. He said, And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Well, as with most memorials, Moses maintained the memorial in the desert. Joshua did the same. But during the time of the judges, the Passover was forgotten. And it wasn't until 800 years later that Josiah Good King Josiah commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. In the 18th year, King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Well, this Passover, this Memorial Day, God set and kept in perfect obedience by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was at the last Passover that Jesus gave us a new living memorial, one designed to protect us by ensuring we never forget, never remove, or never redefine him. Our text this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 22. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, open it with me to Luke chapter 22, where we'll begin in verse 14. As we look... To Luke 22, I'll be using the English Standard Version this morning. Let me suggest that we should never open our Bibles in silence, but always with the sound of thanksgiving and prayer. Will you pray with me now? Father in heaven, today we humbly give thanks to you, our God and provider, for the endless bounty that you have provided for us here in the United States of America. As we pause to remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice so that we can stand in peace and freedom today, help us look to you, the creator, as the source of all good. And Father, forgive us when we call on you to bless America, when we so seldom remember that America must bless you. Father, we thank you for loving us. May the words we hear this morning be your own. In the name of Jesus, the word of God. Amen. 
Well, this is Luke 22:14. Normally we stand, and clearly uh, I, I mean no disrespect, but if you would please, sit and read this beautiful scripture along with me from your Bible, Luke 24, beginning in verse 4, I'm sorry, 22, beginning in verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That is God's holy and errant word. Well, it's fitting that we should have such a wonderful choral presentation before beginning this morning. It's fitting the great reformer Martin Luther composed more than 20 hymns for the church. And his hymns were not meant to, con- to create a mood. They were meant to convey a message. They were a confession of faith, not personal feelings. They were written not to be read, but to be sung by the whole congregation. Luther once said, beautiful music is the art of the prophets that can calm the agitations of the soul. It's one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given to us. Next to the word of God, he said, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. When Martin Luther read the scriptures, he heard music. My friends, when we are in harmony with God, his word is music to our ears. When we open our Bible, when God's word reigns in our heart, we too share the music of life, the music of the memorial, the music of God. In a rented room, with a simple meal, the Lord Jesus gives us a memorial of remembrance that will one day be transformed into the banquet of endless bounty prepared for and in the presence of the King. Our celebration calls for us to remember him, not only during the meal, but also in between meals as well. But in order to properly remember him, We must first know him. When we obey him and his loving commandment, we have the privilege of participating in a Memorial Day parade that looks back to the cross and forward to our hope in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ is at the head of this parade. It began as he dined with his disciples on the evening before his crucifixion. And since that time, the body of believers has shared this humble meal as he instructed in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper is very familiar to our ears, so familiar that sometimes we may think there's nothing more to hear. But Jesus established the memorial of this ordinance to be enacted by his followers from time to time so that we may not forget. We find comfort in our familiarity with the story of Jesus and his disciples enjoying a meal together. 
but no matter how far we get off track between meals, Jesus brings us back to the center as we focus on the body and the blood of our Redeemer. It was St. Augustine who first offered the parable, too much familiarity breeds contempt. Paul spoke to the Corinthians about their disrespectful behavior when participating in the Lord's ordinance. They'd become so comfortable and familiar with the process and the noise of the world, a world at enmity with God, that they failed to remember the melody. They got lost in the noise and forgot the melody of his memorial. 1 Corinthians 11. When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Paul was rebuking their familiarity, having forgotten the melody and being lost in the noise. The church had desecrated the memorial of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of the blessing that we bless. Is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake in one bread. You know, a thought just occurred to me, looking at verse 17 there. Do you know in Baptist tradition, when a group becomes a church, do you know what the significant event is? Did I mention that we study theology here every Thursday night at 7? When an independent group begins to celebrate the ordinance of the church, the Lord's Supper and Baptism, it moves from being a study group to a church. The public observation of this living memorial. The Lord's Supper is a sermon that when reenacted in the same manner in which it was originally performed, commemorates, proclaims, and remembers Jesus Christ. By eating the bread and drinking the wine, said Paul, we proclaim his death until it comes. Well, Paul lived a life that proclaimed the Lord's death. At one time he told the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 2, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The story of the Lord's Supper is a sermon that Jesus delivered to us. It's a hymn set to the music of our soul. This is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Supper proclaims a gift for every believer. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. A pastor once asked a young girl what she liked best about coming to church. I like it when you do the Lord's Supper, she said. And with swelling pride that this child had been listening to his sermons, the pastor said, why? She said, because once the Lord's Supper comes, I know church is almost over, 
and it's time for mommy and daddy to take me out to breakfast. It's the melody of God and not the noise of the world that I want you to hear today. After all, the melody is the central part of the song we share. In him, in fact, it's what separates us from the noise of the fallen world. Paul said, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The miracle of the Christian faith is Jesus. God came to earth as a man like you and me in every way except sin. He lived with us and he taught us by showing and telling the truths of the kingdom of God. And then in complete fulfillment of his father's will, God gave his one and only son so that we who believe might be clothed in his righteousness, clothed into his service, and might live with him forever and ever. The Bible shows us how Jesus taught, often demonstrating what we are to do. And in the end, he made the very sacrifice for which he came, breaking his body, shedding his blood, asking only do this in remembrance of me. Well, Paul lived this memorial every day of his life. To the Corinthians, he said, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. To the Galatians, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. This memorial is a proclamation. We're meant to share it. Indeed, we are, as Martin Luther said, meant to sing it. We are meant to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, it seems out of step for us to proclaim death as a memorial. Tomorrow we will pause and remember our fallen heroes, and in doing so we will mourn their death with tears of a grateful nation. From a pagan worldview, the Lord's death taken alone might have been gruesome, might have been painful, some even call it child abuse. But we who have been chosen by God should never be so lazy as to think that way about his death. All men deserve to die, but this one, the one they call the king of the Jews, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This one and only son was under no such condemnation. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. It's later in Luke's gospel. The Bible tells us Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One of them recognized his inability to save himself. He knew that alone before a righteous God, he had no means of propitiation. When the other thief began to ridicule Jesus, the penitent thief asked, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. We proclaim his death by preaching Christ crucified. It's to the cross of Christ that we must run on this memorial day. Unlike stone monuments, the cross, once a symbol of death and dishonor, 
has been made into a living memorial to the king of kings. This once pagan symbol of man's ultimate cruelty to man has been turned into a symbol of God's ultimate grace to man. That night, they ate the Passover meal. His last supper was to be our first. And they, the twelve apostles, were with him. Do you remember their names, Luke 6? Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Judas, the one known as Iscariot, became a traitor that night. If we look at verse 3 in chapter 22, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and the temple police how he could hand him over to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him when the crowd was not present. Satan entered Judas, and he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us that Judas attended the Lord's Supper. In fact, it tells us, at least by tradition, that Judas reclined on the left of Jesus and John the Apostle on his right. John, the Apostle Jesus loved, was clearly there, although he tells us nothing about the supper itself in the gospel that bears his name. With some of the most beautiful language on the planet, he remembers. If you will, please keep your finger in Luke and look with me at John chapter 13. Before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved them to the end. His hour had come. Sometimes we get so caught up in the cacophony of our lives that we forget that this supper had been scheduled before the beginning of time. And it didn't occur until the time was just right God planned it this way. Galatians chapter 4 says, When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The borrowed upper room where Jesus dined with the twelve stands at the center of time. All redemptive history is focused here. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. The seemingly serene supper was the ready room for the battle of the ages. Satan had taken his position. Soon the Lord Jesus would take a position of his own on the cross. As the battle began, Jesus did something unexpected, something quite unforgettable. As Judas was looking for a way to betray him, Rather than assembling his troops from the world beyond, John tells us in chapter 13 that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he came from and was going back from God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This was the battle between darkness and light, a battle soon to be won forever on the cross. Jesus strapped on a towel and filled a bucket with water. Have you ever considered the miracle that is common water? You know, the Bible tells us from time to time God would have a miracle exposed and proclaimed as a memorial so people would remember it. But how about the miracle of common water? Again, you know, maybe we're just so familiar with it that we no longer hear the voice of one who made it so, but consider this. Did you know that water freezes from top to bottom? That's why ice cubes float in your lemonade. That's why all the fish in Lake Anna don't die in February. That's why life is not extinguished in the Arctic Sea. That's why lakes and seas and his and point in creation teem with life. Instead of becoming lifeless cesspools, aquatic life survives the winter freeze because unlike any other matter, water freezes from top to bottom. H2O is a miracle that we take for granted. Oh, we hear the noise all right, but we've forgotten the melody. Had we remembered the melody, we would never have allowed or even imagined that our schools today would teach our children that water is a cosmic accident and that they are too. In fact, we teach our children that miracles are myth believed only by those who lack sufficient understanding to explain common natural occurrences. We tell them that although water happens to behave differently than most every other substance on the planet, it happened by random chance applied over an infinite period of time. You know, sometimes we get so busy with the ways of the world, we get lost in the noise and forget to sing the words our heart was meant to sing. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing that was created that has been created. Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with a towel he tied around his waist. Jesus knew their hearts. He knows yours today. He knew, that they, he knew what they were thinking and he knew why. He knew as he washed Peter's feet that he would soon deny him, not once but three times. He also knew that Peter would soon remember him and stand fearlessly in front of the world and forcefully proclaim his death until he comes. Acts chapter 2, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus knew their hearts because the song they were singing was his own. Jesus bent down in front of his betrayer and washed his feet, John 13. 
When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. When the creator of the water, the towel, and the feet assumed the lowest position in the room, he showed us the grace of humble service. Jesus showed us the melody of his new covenant. He left us a living memorial so that we might never forget the ordinance of his holy communion. And the Lord Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Our memorial isn't a stack of stones or a monument or even a day. It isn't a meal, a method. It's a man. Our memorial is a living stone, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. When we're joined in the Lord, in his church, we need to remember it's the melody and not the accompanying noise of the world that our heart must sing. The melody of our memorial is Jesus Christ alone. In 1921, Jane Evelyn Hussey composed the hymn, Lead Me to Cavalry. In it, she shared the melody of the memorial, Remember Me. Listen to just a few of her words. King of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall thy glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Cavalry. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Cavalry. As the children of Normandy, we all act like thoughtless school children from time to time. We forget the sacrifice many have made so that we may be as comfortable as we are sitting here today. Tomorrow we will pause to remember our fallen heroes. My friends in Christ, my hope is that in between meals you will hunger and thirst for righteousness as you remember the meaning of the memorial he has given us. We hold the keys to the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been commissioned to share it with a world that is commanded to believe or perish. This Memorial Day, take time to remember our fallen heroes and give thanks. Remember the many of us who still serve us today and tell someone, do you see that cross over there? Do you know that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped? but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of them. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Christ Jesus, we learn to sing the melody of his life. At his last meal, he gave us a memorial to remember. He said, this is my body and my blood which I freely give so that you might have life and have it abundantly. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, for the many memorials you have set before us, for the living memorial, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to open our Bible and hear your word. We thank you for the fellowship we share here at Beaver Dam and throughout the world, the privilege to be called the church, the body of Christ. Father, as we move into a deep and darkened world, help us to remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have the freedom to stand in public and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even so, dear Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice you made, and we recognize we serve a God who knows what it is to lose a son. Thank you for loving us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, Memorial Day just doesn't seem to fade away with one day. I'm sure you're aware by reading the papers and looking around that on Friday, a Virginia State Police Special Agent and father of three was fatally shot Friday night during a vehicle stop in a crime-ridden Richmond neighborhood. Michael T. Waller was 45. He was an 18-year veteran of the state police. He was a Marine. And he was known for mentoring young people. He survived by a wife, two sons, age 14 and 9, and a six-year-old daughter. Well, I don't know whether you noticed or not, but I had difficulty getting through our message this morning because it's uh, emotional for me. And as I prepared it, I was thinking, why, uh, how, how is it that we can wish one another a happy Memorial Day? Shouldn't it be a day of sorrow and quiet and solace? And then I thought about an old hymn that I used to sing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. While we're sad in our memories, we know that in Jesus Christ, we have life everlasting. For many of you here today, you don't have that assurance. You haven't come to know the Lord. Our mission, our mandate, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can know that you have eternal life, so that you can know the creator of all things, so that when he says, do this in remember of me, you know the me that we're called to remember. If you have not yet come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you have questions or concerns, if you're not sure of your foundation, I'd like to talk to you about it today. We're going to have deacons and pastors up here this morning. We'd all like to talk to you today. If you want to just come and pray and give thanks for our fallen heroes, we'd like to share that with you as well. Let's all stand and give thanks to God as we share our invitation.